The reading is in Luke 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. And that's what, page 1026 in the Church Bibles. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Ze Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who, is, who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the of the humble, humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him for, from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their mo inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for, some, for about three months and then returned home. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, do keep the Bible open in front of you. Um, as we look through uh, Luke 1 uh, together. Uh, but before we do, uh, why don't I just pray? Uh, Father God, thank you and praise you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you that you teach us, renew us, and send us out. We thank you and praise you, uh, and we pray that you touch our hearts. We pray you teach us uh, and show us uh, how to live for you um, here this morning, uh, this evening. And we just uh, pray uh, that our hearts and our minds may be filled with the knowledge and love of God. And may we go from here wanting to know you better and wanting to follow you more closely. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I have to say, uh, isn't it just really encouraging to have uh, such a, an amazing group of young people who not only uh, love Jesus, but are willing to stand up in front of you guys and tell you about uh, how much they love Jesus. But not only that, go about and do it in their schools and at home in their families as well. So I, I, I really do, I know this isn't very good in a church, being in a church, but let's just give them a round of applause. I think they've done brilliantly. Uh, the second thing I've got to say is I apologise. Uh, this is the first time I used a clicker, so if I get it wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, Sarah's at the back, so she'll save me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> um, so I wonder how much you know. See, it's gone wrong already, Sarah. Uh, it wasn't. It is now. That always helps, doesn't it? There we go. Uh, I wonder how much you know about the French Revolution. Uh, maybe you know a bit about uh, Napoleon Bonaparte or the war between France and Britain. Uh, called the Napoleonic Wars. I wonder uh, if you know uh, why Britain went to war with France in the first place. 
Britain went to war uh, because of the French Revolution. Uh, the French Revolution began in 1789 and it ended un- it, about 1799. You see, at the time, France was almost bankrupt, uh, bankrupt because of the French involvement in the American Revolution, but also because of King Louis XVI, his extravagant spending had bankrupted uh, the country. Uh, on top of that, there'd been years and years of bad harvests and diseases in the livestock. And to make matters worse, the taxes had gone up hugely. People were angry. They were angry at the ruling classes. There was fear, there was rioting, and there was, vi- uh, there was violence. The French Revolution was born. And you know, it shaped, uh, helped to shape the modern democracy uh, which we live in uh, now. And you know, it's, ba- it's what uh, Les Mis is based on as well. Uh, Revolutions have happened throughout history, they've happened all across the world, and in a simplistic way, they happen because the working class, the normal, ordinary citizens of the country, become unhappy with the people that they are ruled over by. Uh, The aim, every time, is to gain freedom uh, from the oppressive powers for the normal people to have a better life. It all sounds... Slightly too familiar, doesn't it, in this day and age? The cost of living is rising. Inflation is up 40, uh, a 40-year 40 high. The normal, everyday people are unhappy. They're calling out for change. You know that this uh, psalm which we're looking at uh, today is uh, called the most revolutionary song uh, by uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple. And as you read Mary's song, you can clearly see why. Uh, Look down with me at verses 51 and 53. They say this. uh, He, God, has performed mighty deeds with his arms and scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, it almost reads like a a manifesto for a a revolution, doesn't it? You can almost hear uh, the people calling out during the French Revolution, "Uh, we're going to bring the rulers down. Uh, Let them go away hungry with nothing like we do. But you know, that's not the revolution that Mary is proclaiming. She's not talking about political change here. Uh, No, uh, Mary is talking about the arrival of God's kingdom. Mary announces that God's revolution has come. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to have a look at God's revolution. We're going to have a look at what it looks like and how we are called to be part of it. So what does God's revolution look like? It looks like this. God overturning the world order. If you know the story, Mary has just had a uh, visit from the angel Gabriel to tell her that she's been chosen by God uh, to be the mother of God's son. That she'll be the person who is uh, going to bring this long about, uh, long waited for promise into being. The chosen king who will come into the world. This is earth shattering news. This is life changing news. And you know what Mary wants to do? To tell people about it. 
I don't know the last time you had great news and how you shared it with people. Um, the most common way of sharing good news now is through social media, through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, when my son Joshua was born, that's what I did. I wanted to share the news as quickly as possible with as many people as possible. Uh, I wanted to share, uh, share it with extended family and friends. And I wasn't going to spend three hours on the phone ringing every single person. So I shoved it on Facebook. And everyone knew all in, a, all in an instant. The wonders of modern technology. In Mary's day, uh, Facebook obviously didn't exist. Uh, in Mary's day, there were no telephones. Uh, so Mary did the only things that she could do. She hurried off to tell her relatives in person, to tell her relative Elizabeth the good news. And in verse 46 of our passage, uh, you can see that Mary is just bursting with praise, isn't she? She's bursting. Uh, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Why is Mary rejoicing? Mary's rejoicing because God is about to bring about his kingdom through her. Verse 48 says this, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Uh, in the Christmas productions that we see every year, I think we can often uh, miss what Mary is like as a person. Mary, we need to remember, is a 15-year-old girl. She lives in Nazareth, which, if you don't know, it was a small, isolated village. In Mary's day, about 300 people lived there. Uh, the families were farmers and tradesmen. They didn't live any special lives. They weren't special in the eyes of the world. And Mary, well, she wouldn't, definitely wouldn't be special in the eyes of the world. And yet God chooses her. It chooses her to play this pivotal role in what is about to happen. And from his choice of Mary, we get this first little glimpse of what God is about to do when he turns the world on its head. You see, from the beginning of Genesis, uh, God selected the nation of Israel to be his special people, the people for whom the world uh, would not only uh, see what God is like, but ultimately come into a relationship with him, to come to be part of God's kingdom. Uh, those uh, promises first given to Abraham and his descendants, finally, they're finally being fulfilled through, through the baby inside Mary. Uh, and notice uh, Mary's song. Notice Mary's song is in the past tense. Notice that she's trusting that as God fulfills his promises, then his actions are as good as done. God has initiated so it's as if it's already happened. When God reorders the world, the kingdom values are very different. When God reorders the world, the kingdom values are very different. There's forgiveness for those who honour Jesus as king. Have a look at verse uh, 50 with me. Uh, they say this, For his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. The first thing that needs to happen in a revolution is a new leader needs to rise up. 
and Jesus' entrance into the world is going to shatter any illusion that uh, earthly kings are any good at all. It will expose that we collectively and individually have moved away from God's plan and have kicked Jesus off his throne. When we face Jesus, we see our moral and spiritual sickness. We see how far away we are from God. But King Jesus, he doesn't stamp out his enemies. Instead, he offers forgiveness and mercy for those who fear him. You see, Jesus also, though, uh, reveals the foolishness uh, of self-sufficiency. Have a look at verses 51, 52, and 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the witch away empty. King Jesus, he doesn't just offer forgiveness. He also exposes the foolishness of putting ourselves first, putting ourselves on the throne. Did you notice there are three kinds of self-sufficiency mentioned in that, uh, those three verses? The proud, uh, the, ru- uh, the rulers, and the rich. These are the I-can-do-it, just-do-it generation. I think the epitome of that comes in Luke 18. Uh, don't flick, uh, don't flick uh, to it yet. Uh, it's the rich young ruler. He's rich, I'm sure you know the story. He's uh, religious and he is proud. In the world's eyes, he's got it all. He's got everything. And yet, as you read that uh, story, you can see that deep down, deep down he knows he isn't yet part of Jesus' kingdom. When Jesus tells him to give up his riches, to give up the religious pride, to give up his rule, to put himself last, to follow Jesus. He just won't do it. In Jesus' kingdom, rulers are brought brought down. The rich are left empty. The proud admirers will turn to see King Jesus in all his glory. The Putins, the Xi Jinpings, uh, the untouchables now are exposed by King Jesus as frauds. But let's be honest with ourselves this evening, shall we? The rich, the proud, the rulers, doesn't just describe other people, does it? It describes the human heart. If we're honest with ourselves, can we not be described as proud? Proud of our own achievements, how good we are. Are we not rich in regards to money? Are we not rich in regards to our education, our opportunities? Do you know the problem with being rich and proud? It's very hard to be dependent. How often do we use the phrase, we can do it? But how dangerous is that phrase as well? Because in spiritual terms, we can't do it. We can't earn our way into God's kingdom. We can't buy our way into God's kingdom. Our achievements, our riches, our opportunities, they mean nothing when it comes to being part of God's kingdom. For every person around the world, regardless of where they live or whom they live under, 
There needs to be a real heart change, a power which can turn our hearts away from ourselves and back to God. There needs to be real change, not just a paper over the crack type human revolution. The third thing the new kingdom offers is a new status for those who recognize that they need a saviour. Have a look down at verses 52 and 53 again. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. What's next in the revolution? Uh, During the French Revolution, the newly established republic not only toppled the monarchy, but they actually executed them. They removed all traces of them from history. Not so for King Jesus. When he turns the world on its head, not only does he offer forgiveness, not only does he show us where we've gone wrong, but you see, he raises up his former enemies. He offers a new status in his new kingdom. The the contrast uh, to Luke 18 and the rich young ruler is Luke 19 and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is another rich, proud, and powerful man. He's chief tax collector. But when he sees Jesus, he sees his poverty. When he sees Jesus, he sees his sin. He's humbled. He fears Jesus. He's hungry to meet Jesus. He looks to Jesus to rescue him. Like Mary, Zacchaeus is raised up into God's kingdom. In, verses nine, in chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus tells Zacchaeus this, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus is brought into God's kingdom, the one promised to Abraham and coming through Mary. The humble man is lifted up, The hungry man is filled. God's topsy-turvy kingdom is here. God says to Mary, Mary, I want you to be part of it. Mary's response is simple. Okay. And praises him. But you know what's amazing here this evening? In God's upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom... We're called to be part of it too. Little old us here in Chesham. Are we part of this revolution? Are you part of this revolution? Because you're called to be. We all are. We're called to be part of God's kingdom. Look back with me to verse 48. Do you notice uh, that Mary talks about being both humble and blessed? Do you notice that Elizabeth calls her blessed in verse 42? Why is Mary blessed? Why is she blessed? You might think it's maybe because uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus, or in the end it's an important role, isn't it? But it is a a role for one person. Without her, her, Jesus would never have been born. God's king and kingdom would never have come about. But now in your Bibles, flick with me to Luke 11. I know it says John 11, I mean Luke. 
Luke 11, 27 to 28. Uh, Jesus has been teaching. And out of the crowd, do you see what the uh, woman calls? She says this. Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. There it is. Mary is blessed and raised up because of she is the mother of Jesus. But then just look down at the next verse, at Jesus' response. He replies with this. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. If you want to play our part in God's kingdom's revolution, you need to hear and obey the word of God. That's what Mary did. That's why she's raised up to be blessed. That's why she's part of God's uh, life-changing world, uh, changing revolution. She believed and trusted God. It really is as simple as that. Our task is not to give birth to Jesus, fortunately. But to proclaim Jesus as king. To obey the king of the kingdom. Flick over to um, Acts 17 with me. I know I'm asking you to flick, but I promise this is the last one. I want to show you something really uh, amazing. Uh, Acts 17, verses 6 and 7. Whilst you're flicking, let me give you a bit of background. Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica. They're preaching, and as Paul uh, normally happens with Paul, there's a riot. Um, Paul is uh, staying with a man called Jason. He's staying in his house. And the, the authorities, well, they couldn't find Paul. So they dragged Jason in instead. And they uh, fire accusations at Jason. And here is the accusation they fire against him. Uh, these men have caused trouble all over the world. And they've now come here. Now, uh, you might look at that verse and think, how on earth is that relevant? Uh, forgive me. Hold, hold your horses one second. Um, because if you look at the original language, if you look at the original Greek, it reads different. Let me see if you can spot the difference. No, that one. It says this. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They're accusing Paul of turning the world upside down. Why? How is he turning the world upside down? What on earth has he been doing? If you look at verse 2 of chapter 17, you see why. Paul uh, went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them, uh, with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. How is Paul turning the world upside down? It is simply by preaching Jesus. If we count ourselves as part of Jesus' kingdom, like Paul... We need to speak. And like Paul, we need to tell people about Jesus. It will bring us into conflict uh, with the world. But if Jesus is our king, if we are his subjects, we follow where he leads. We take up our cross and follow the king. We must do what Mary did. She said this, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. 
Uh, maybe uh, here tonight you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian yet. Maybe you like Christmas and the baby in the manger, but the rest, not quite so sure about. At Christmas, we can often get sucked into the trap of focusing on the parties, the family and the presents. We often think that Jesus comes to make us happy or get us out of trouble. But no, the baby in the manger... No, he came as king. He came as king and he came to change the world. You know this, Christmas is God's invasion of earth. God is invading earth. He is bringing about his revolution that is turning the world on its head. God's kingdom full of upside down values like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Where the most important thing is Jesus, not us where Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne. Where he shows us the folly of self-sufficiency, where he offers us a chance to be part of his kingdom, raised up with him. The question for us tonight is this, will we join Mary in her song of praise? If redemption is to reach us, if we are to be part of God's kingdom, part of God's people and part of God's revolution, we need to believe God's words. We need to believe Jesus is the king. Here this evening, do we believe Jesus is the king? Are we part of God's kingdom? Are we part of God's people? You know, God's kingdom doesn't offer the, the shiny things of the world. It doesn't offer the Rolls Royces, the power or the fame. It simply offers us a choice. Did you spot it in the passage? In verse 50, there's forgiveness for those who honour him, who put God in his rightful place as king. The other side is verse 51. His mighty hand is against us. Verses 51, 2 and 3. We can either be foolishly self-sufficient or humbly dependent upon God. We can either receive the greatest put down in history or receive the greatest promotion in eternity. In verse 53, we can either be filled with God by God's own hand or verse 54, we can be sent away with nothing. God has fulfilled his promises to his people. He has turned the world order upside down uh, all through King Jesus. Are we going to be like Mary? Are we going to obey God? Are we going to praise God for the great things that he has done? Will we be part of God's revolutionary kingdom? Or are we going to be out in the cold with nothing? The choice is left to us. Why don't I pray? Father God, our souls glorify you. Our spirits rejoice in God, our Saviour. We thank you that you are humble, that you are mindful of your humble servants. We thank you that generations will call us blessed. We thank you that you have done 
great things. Father God, you are holy. We thank you for offering mercy. We thank you for lifting up the hungry. We thank you for filling us with good things. We thank you that you keep your promises. We thank you that we can be part of your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you, Father God. Amen.